RFM Thursday Finance with the man with all the money, Stephen Pritchard. And as always, may we start the program having a look at the currency and commodities. And what if we've what if it's been uncovered this week? Well, it's pretty much a bit of red here. Um, the gold price that's never good. Red's no good. Red's no good. <laughs> the gold price was down a dollar fifty-seven to sixteen hundred ninety-nine dollars an ounce, and the crude oil price was down uh, five dollars twenty-eight a barrel to one hundred and one dollars fifty. That's Australian dollars. And the in the currency markets, the US dollar was we were down against the US dollar to seventy-three point six five US cents, and we're down against the British pound to fifty-five point seven eight pence, and against the euro, we were down to sixty-three point oh nine. Euro cents, so more expensive to go overseas. Uh, the All Ordinaries was up marginally this week, up 17.6 points to 6,320 at the close yesterday, and the SP 500 was up uh, 37.4 to 2,774, and the UK index was 7,591, which was down 11.3 points with a few problems with the British Prime Ministers having over there might be affecting them. Oh, with everybody leaving the ship by the yeah, sound of things. Yeah, well, the ship will still sail on. It's, it's, it's a sort of, a, it's Brexit without the Brexit, just the people leaving. Yeah, that's the people leaving. Um, they might well be leaving the country too. Um, and and some stocks, um, selected stocks, uh, BHP was up 44 cents to $33.31. Um CBA was up 35 cents to $74.81. NIV was down 11 cents to $5.55. And Telstra was pretty much steady at $2.76. Okay, so there's a look at some of our money. And the fuel price, $1.47 a litre in Newcastle and $1.36 a litre in Sydney. Alrighty, there's a look at some of the currency and commodities. It is Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard. And of course, we now welcome Henry Jennings. He is the senior commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. And lots of uh, lots of things happening in the finance world. Uh, Henry, I believe this week you're going to look at the ACCC to start with. Um, yes, we are. Well, the ACCC is looking at the, um, the gas market and energy prices. So they came out yesterday with a, uh, a report which they're going to give to the government on, and I think it's 56 recommendations, and they're hoping to get power prices down for Australian consumers because they believe that our power companies are ripping us off. What a surprise. And they've also, I guess, been quite critical of uh, previous administrations and governments in terms of uh, what they call gold plating um, the, uh, the network. So you know, energy companies could spend lots of money on upgrading stuff, and then they'd be able to get a return on that upgrade. So um, pushing our power prices up. So yes, it certainly had a big effect yesterday on AGL. They were down 7%. And Origin is the other one that's been uh, in the spotlight as well. So yeah, not good for those. But hopefully we might see the government adopt some of these proposals and we might see power prices come down. Well, one of, one of the things I think that, that should be adopted is they offer you all these discounts, but they don't tell you discounts of what. And, no, and, that's right. And everyone's got their own price. And you try and ask what the you know, the price per kilowatt hour is you're going to pay, and they send you out this tariff that's got a hundred different things on it. I, I can't, you know, it should be pretty easy, shouldn't it? It should be peak and off-peak tariffs. That's right. That's it. There should be one price for during the night, and there should be one price for, you know, peak times during the day, and that's it. That's right. Would it be fair to say that? How complicated can it be? It'd be fair to say that, Henry, if we did that, wouldn't that actually put the consumer in control? Well, we wouldn't want that to happen, would we? Well, you'd be able to tell that, 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 that whether the 28% discount was a real discount or 
Well, that's right. It's you know, it's so confusing. It's it's just ridiculous. But um, yeah, no, it's um, certainly had a big effect yesterday. And uh, let's hope that we get some uh, traction. Of course, the government's still trying to push ahead with their national energy guarantee. Um, but um, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. And and BHP, BHP's promised that investors will soon be treated to a sizable return. <laughs> what does that Good. mean? Well, peaking off peak. Uh, yeah, peaking off peak. This is, could be peak. Um, well, BHP basically uh, some years ago bought a business in the US called Petrohawk, which was uh, a US shale uh, oil and gas business. Um, they spent about twenty billion dollars on it, uh, US dollars, I think, from memory. It was it was an expensive purchase to say the least because um, it's been stuffed up and um, they really have um, really stuffed it up completely. And, and they're getting out of this business. They're trying to get a bid for it. They they seem to have got BP interested. I mean, it's not a bad business. They just paid the wrong price. They have got BP interested. There's talk that they might pay $13 billion for it, so they're still going to take a big haircut on this one. Um, but the company has said that if they um, sell this asset uh, and pull back from this U.S. expansion into the shale space, then they will be generous to shareholders. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. So they've ripped up all that shareholder money, and now they're going to give it to them back. So how so, much are they going to have ripped up? $10 billion? Oh, probably, probably. I'd say yeah, it wouldn't be far off it. It's not bad. Yeah, I mean, you've got to wonder with the forecast, some analysts saying that oil prices forecast to rise, are we selling this thing at the wrong time now? Um, oh, it's, you know, I've got to say, analysts' views of the oil market mm. are pretty rubbish, I have to say. Um, they don't get it particularly right. Analysts are notoriously bad at being able to predict um, commodity prices, and at the end of the day, um, where Saudi Arabia and OPEC go tends to be where the oil price goes, even though we've had a big uh, um, sort of uh, influx, I guess, of U.S. oil, and they are self-sufficient now. They don't actually import much oil into the U.S. Um, because of all this shale um, business that they've been doing. But they've got a lot of bottlenecks there, so it's still very much OPEC and Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, that have hold all the, the strings, I guess, in this uh, in this game. So, yeah, I mean, the oil had a 5% fall last night, so it's it's volatile, to say the least. Mm. And speaking of oil, there's a new um, oil refining stock, Viva Energy, listing on Friday, I think? Well, I, I, I don't know if you'd call it new. Viva Energy is basically the Shell service stations. Um, so they're doing this is the biggest float so far this year. It's listing on Friday, um, and it's basically the Shell service station. So there is a refinery behind it. They do marine and, and uh, jet fuel as well. Um, they also have the retail operations because they have the, uh, the the agreement with Coles. Um, and there's a Swiss uh, private group that has that owns this, and they are selling down. They've sold down at two dollars fifty, which is the bottom end of the range they were hoping to. Uh, it looks like they're going to retain around fifty five percent of the uh, the company. Uh, it's going to have a market cap of around five billion. So they've raised a fair amount of this, uh, some of it from retail, but uh, most of it from uh, so-called cornerstone investors, institutions that have been happy to uh, to, to go into this. It's not expensive. It, it's very much comparable to Caltex. I think it's on about six and a half times EBIT, and um, I think it's yields about 4.6%, fully frank. So it's not dissimilar to Caltex, and it, it's pretty recognizable driving around the place because it's the shell servos. But it will be interesting to see how it comes on. I've got to say, I'm not wasn't a massive fan, couldn't see the, the sizzle um, in this one, but um, I will be um, happy to be 
Perhaps you might like to buy a dairy farm. I hear Harvey Norris <laughs> is coming up for sale. <laughs> yep. This is, uh, this is Jerry Harvey's ego-driven foray into the dairy industry when it was all, uh, you know, it was all going off and everybody was uh, talking dairy and the, the great access to China. Uh, Jerry Harvey very kindly uh, used uh, the company money, the company checkbook, to buy himself a dairy farm, which has cost uh, Harvey Norman shareholders rather a lot of money. So it's a shame that he didn't decide to do this as a private venture uh, as opposed to um, doing it for the company. So, yeah, they're trying to flog this asset off now. Yeah, I was thinking about this, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a bit like when um, when uh, Frank Lowy decided he wanted to be a TV mongrel and, uh, mongrel and bought, bought, bought um, Channel 10 and promptly yeah. lost, lost, lost multiples of millions of dollars of shareholders' money. You know what, sometimes, you know, it's it's really good to kind of stick to your knitting. Yes, yes. You know, if, if, you, if you run a property centre empire and you're really good at that, why would you want to go and run a TV station? That's right. Or a dairy so, farm. Or a dairy farm. I, I know you can get people in to manage them, etc. But really, I mean, you know, shareholders in Harvey Norman bought Harvey Norman because they wanted exposure to flogging people, computers and, and, and you know, white goods and televisions and plasmas and what have you. They didn't buy it so they could have a herd of dairy cattle wandering I'm, around the place. I'm not sure, Henry. I mean, they sell fridges and milk goes in fridges, so there's a link Well, there. that's true, and you could put the meat in the freezer. <laughs> there is a certain synergy there. And, and the coffee machine. See, and, the, and the coffee machine. Well, maybe it makes sense after all. See, maybe uh, we should be working working there instead. To when you are FM as we continue Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard, the man with all the money, or at least trying to get us to find a few points. Trying to get you to find a few dollars. <laughs> uh, I found a dollar fifteen. Henry's the, the one. Henry, Henry's the one with all the money. So AMP had all the money. AMP had all the money. Yes. They haven't. They haven't anymore. So they've been warning their planners on risky advice. I mean, I would have thought they should have been doing that all along. <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> I think that particular horse bolted. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, AMP has got some serious issues at the moment. They haven't even got a CEO. Um, you know, they've still sort of got the um, uh, David Murray's come in as the executive chairman, but they haven't actually got a CEO at the moment. So it is a bit of a mess. There is a, an issue with um, some of the, the planners because they have, um, well, one of the brokers, Shaw and Partners, has looked at this sort of, uh, if the planners want to go, then uh, AMP has to buy them out, and it could be a massive liability if all these guys decided to go. And if you were a, a financial planner at the AMP, um, given its reputational damage that's been done at the moment, you'd probably be looking to disappear and go and set up somewhere else and start again. So, yeah, it's, it's not been a good time for them, and it doesn't seem to be getting much better either. I mean, it all seems a bit of a mystery to me, to be honest, because I would have thought they'd have had an approved product list, and they were the only things that advisors could recommend to clients. And, and if it's on the improved product list, what, what, how are they giving risky advice? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand either, Stephen. I'm not a financial planner, thankfully. Yes, yes, yes. I know. Patience for it. No, no, neither am I. And yeah, Village Roadshow. Village Roadshow looks to raise capital to fund debt reduction. So they're going to raise some money and pay down some debts. Um, Village Roadshow, my, my friend Rudy 
uh, on Sky has just said that this is a company in a bit of a pickle. Um, I think that's to put it mildly, to be honest. Um, and uh, they've just sold their uh, Wet n' Wild in Sydney. Um, so that was an interesting move for them. Um, I think they got about $40 million for that. And they're also raising money because they have got some debt issues, to say the least. They are under a little bit of pressure on their debt. They're also under a little bit of pressure to, um, to work out you know, what this company actually does. I mean, it's, it's theme parks, which is good. Um, they've got a thing called Top Golf, which is like a, a golfer's paradise um, driving range with, you know, accompanying kind of things to go with it, um, which has been very successful in the U.S. apparently and is coming to Australia, bringing it here. Um, and they've also got the film business and, of course, the um, they've got some cinemas as well. But, you know, film business ain't what it used to be. It's, uh, it's probably a much tougher business for them, and the stock price has just been going down ever since. They've just raised some money at $1.65 in an entitlement issue. The stock's come back on at $1.87. It's just been on a slippery, slippery slide for a while, and I'm not sure this is going to be the answer to their prayers. Yes. I mean, wasn't that 6 or $7 a few years ago? Yeah, they yeah. were. Uh, um, and Hugh and Aquaculture, it lost uh, a court case about the number of fish in Macquarie Harbour, but claims it's had a moral victory. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? A moral victory. Yeah, they, they lost the court case. Um, they've still got um, activities in uh, Macquarie Harbour. I think they've got about 10% of their earnings comes from Macquarie Harbour, So, um, but they did lose the court case there, as, as you rightly say. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's not it's not really heavily traded i have to say no. it's it's one of those tiddlers if you pardon the um, yeah and the family the family family's still got a big shareholding yeah they? yeah and yeah. coca-cola which is which is which is going to reduce the sugar content and replace their plastic packaging yeah are they is that the idea i thought they were talking about um, there was sugar content coming down across their range of products. So um, it may mean that they introduce new products with no sugar but leave the sugar in the old ones. Oh, that's sneaky, you, isn't it? You see what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so your sneaky. average sugar content comes down? Your average sugar comes down because they produce more flavoured waters maybe that don't have any sugar in them. They're still catering uh, for everybody, though. That's, but, the, that's the key, isn't it? Well, I guess so. I guess so. But your average can of Coke, I think, has got 16 spoonfuls yeah, of sugar no. in it. And there are some uh, some moves from uh, one or two people to uh, to make sure that soft drink manufacturers actually put that on the can, um, a bit like we have with um, cigarette warnings and the, those horrific pictures of lung disease, etc. They would put a big, you know, 16 spoons on a can of Coca-Cola or something. So that, that would certainly have a little bit of a, a detrimental effect on them. But, um, yeah, I'm sure they would be resisting like crazy, but the stock price has done jolly well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure why. That's done jolly well. Maybe it's just um, it's the defensive quality of the stock um, being, uh, you know, slightly less risky, I guess, than some of the others that are around at the moment, especially in trade wars, which we have at the moment. Yeah, they've also been selling their factories and, and booking mm. that through the P&L, so I wonder if people haven't, some people haven't noticed that. Yeah, anyhow, we'll talk to you again next week, Henry. We will indeed. Okay.
Thank you very much. Have a great week. Thanks, Henry. Thank you very much, Henry Jennings. Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard. And Stephen, lots of uh, calls coming through at the moment. I think we might as well get into some of those. Firstly, Deborah, you've got a question about uh, Super and AMP for uh, for Stephen today. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Deborah. I was just wondering, I have my work super in AMP. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it good to leave it there, or should I think about rolling it into another fund? Ah, uh, look, we, we can't kind of give personal advice here. Okay. But, but, but generally, you, you need to have a look at, um, and this applies to all the superannuation, and not just um, the one you're in. You, you need to have a look around at what else is available, and the, and the things you probably need to look out for is, first of all, um, your asset allocation, where the money's actually invested, um, what fees are being charged, but most importantly, what, what's more important is the actual return after fees. I mean, you, you might you might get a a, um, a low return, uh, so yep. you might have a low fee, but you might not get any return. And the thing to watch when you're switching superannuation funds um, is the insurance cover. You want to make sure that the the new fund is accepted the risk before you take the money out of the old fund. Oh, okay. Okay, so if the gap in between and you have some accident... um, which isn't unheard of. Exactly. Um, you got you got no insurance cover. So, uh, you know, um, even if you've got to uh, set up the new fund and put a bit of your own money in there to start it with to get the insurance cover. But you need, a, you need to compare the funds. You can't just make a decision that you should take it out of one and put it in the other. All right. Okay. Thank okay. you very much for your advice. Thanks, Deborah. Okay, no thank worries. you. Thank you Bye. very much for that, Deborah. And good afternoon to Eric. You've got a tax question for Stephen, being it's that time of year. Yeah. Yes, Eric. please. Yes, please. Yes. A tax question. Yes. I have an investment property which I exchanged on this financial year last week. Yes. And in my 2018 rental income, I have some prepayments into the 2019 tax period, which I've had to refund. Sorry, I'm I'm getting confused. If you exchanged on the property last week, it wouldn't have anything to do with the 2018 year. No, that's right. That's right. But some of the rental income that was credited to me and paid to me for the 2018 return includes prepayments of rental income into the 2019 period. But I've had to refund that. Why, why would you have to refund it? Because the tenant moved out and overpaid the um, their rent. Yes, yes. So can I amend my 2000 and rental income before I write it into my 2018 return? But, but it w- there wouldn't be anything going in your 2018 return. Well, there is rental income. Well, well, there can't be any rental income if you only bought the property last week. If you only no, I, 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 I've owned it for thirty six years. I've sold it last week, exchanged last week. Right. So you've okay. So, so the rent, the rent, the the, the rent, the rents um, accessible when it's received. Right? Yeah. So, so you'd have to adjust. And when did you refund it in the current year? Oh, this yeah, yes, this this fine this week actually. Okay, so what what's last year's last year? You're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to adjust your rent in the current year. So 
so I can put in a negative income in the 2019 tax return. I can't see how I can do that. Well, well, expenses are going to be more than your rent. No, they're not. Well, look, you know, you're going to need to go and get specific advice and and let the people have a look at the transaction because I can't see how you would have all this prepaid rent there. Uh, Only a couple of weeks. Right. But if you've exchanged already, you've still got got weeks before the property settles. Yes, but I've got no rental income coming into that in that period. Okay, what you need to do is take all the documents into into your account and go and get him to give you some advice on on where all this rent's actually being recorded. Yes, it can very much be tricky. Uh, good luck with all of that, Eric. I guess the time of the year uh, doesn't help either. Good afternoon, Carol. You have a question for Stephen this afternoon on capital gains. Yes. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Carol. Um, yeah. Look. Um, in May, um, the house was sold. Um, I've had it for 18 years. Um, it was sort of bottom of the ladder, I suppose, so it was only a cheap um, property. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering how do they... Is there two different ways that they do the capital gains and how does that work, please? OK, so what house was it? It was an investment house. OK, so you bought an investment house 18 years ago... And it's yes. always been an investment. Yes. It's always been an investment house. Yes. All the way along the line. Yes. Okay. So basically, you take the cost base of the house, plus all your acquisition costs, which would typically be stamp duty and legals, plus any renovation costs you've done, which haven't been treated as repairs during the period. So that that forms your cost base of the house, and you get the sale proceeds. And the sale proceeds you can deduct off your, um, typically you'd have your agent's commission and your legal fees. And the difference is your capital gain. Now you can either apply that 50% discount method, which means you take 50% of the capital gain off, which you then pay tax on. Sorry. Or for these old assets, you can apply an indexation method. Now typically, um, generally, the 50% discount method gives you the better outcome. But you wouldn't know unless you sat down and worked it out. So with the indexation, what that's if a property goes up 10% a year or whatever it is? No, no, you apply, the, you, you apply the CPI index from the date of acquisition. Oh, a CPI index. Yes. Right. But you think the 50% is better? Generally, it works out to be the case, but you really need to sit down and work it out to work to 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 to. You need to do both calculations to come up with a definitive answer. Generally, the fifty percent discounts better, but it may not always be the case. Right. And what about where you've got depreciation of things that have only, um, say, in the last two years started to be depreciated that are. You know, like larger things. Well, well, if like you've got foundation, etc. If you've got, sorry, what? what like what? foundation depreciation, where foundations were fixed up. Foundations were fixed up. What in the last yes. two years? On, uh, an, yeah. on an eighteen-year-old like, property. Yes. Well, that would have that wouldn't have been shouldn't have been classed. That would have been repairs. That would have been claimed outright. 
what it should all have been claimed outright. Well, if the property is 18 years old and in the last two years you've had to do repairs to the foundation, I would have thought that that's repairs. Oh. So there shouldn't be any depreciation on any of that. Okay. And what about also painting, painting all the house and inside and out? That's well, well, look, we're getting into personal specific stuff but yeah. gen- generally generally if you've got a property that you've rented out for 18 years and these painting and stuff that you've done is the result of the general wear and tear of the property over the 18 year period um, that would be repairs that you would just claim outright Thank you very much uh, for your call, Carol. And uh, Stephen, it can get very uh, intense. It gets very There's lots to think about. And you need to get all the facts. Yeah. Now, Stephen, at the start of the program, we did promise you'd be able to find us some more money. And a good way to do that is get our budgeting in order. Now, you said also that most of us are doing it wrong. What are some of the things we should be doing to get that right? Well, well, first of all, I think most people um, do it back to front. And what they do is they save whatever they haven't spent. So what you need to do is reverse that. And the first thing you need to do is take 10% of your salary out, put that aside and budget on what's left. So the 10%, is that the, the quote unquote where you, you pay yourself and that's your, your fun stuff, your drinking silver, no, no, whatever? No, 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 that's the stuff you're putting aside to save. <laughs> oh, we're saving the 10%, yeah, okay. Saving, so saving. we haven't even got to the bit where we get to throw away yet. No, no, so then when you've got, when you've got your 90% of your salary left or your yeah. wage left, that's what you need to do to the budget. And you need to list out all the expenses, all the expenses that you, and 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 be serious. And some mm. people's stuff I've seen is absolutely shocking. But, but so, yeah, so what do you mean shocking? Obviously, we're putting well, our bills 300 down. Three hundred a week in cigarettes. Okay, gotcha. Fair enough. Right, mm. and they've got no money. Well, this is why. Okay. So you need to you need to be serious about you know it's probably easier mm. to do it on a, a quarterly or an annual basis to be honest, and then work backwards. Mm. I guess whichever, however you, you however guys you come, if they're monthly, and, quarterly, and be serious, whatever. and then mm. you can look at. But, but then you can look at where, where your money's really going. Most people most people don't really know. But, you know, if you want to save some money, take the money out first and then budget on 90% that's left. I guess when folks come and see people like yourselves and they, they say, look, I've got no money, where is my money going? And then you look at some of these. That seems a very basic strategy. Is it, do most people, once they've had a look through and go, my goodness, I didn't realise that all this, this cash was leaking away? Uh, yeah, and some just say, oh, we can't fill in the sheet, and we say... Well, we can't fill in the sheet. <laughs> we can't work out where our money's going. So if you can't if you can't sit down long enough to work out how much you're spending on groceries and how much you're spending on electricity and how much you... you you've got to be able to help yourself, to be honest. I guess as well, if you... I mean, I probably couldn't tell you what my last grocery bill was last week, but if I say, well, let's go back and have... Well, let's look at the next two or three, then you've got an, an average, right. at least, an you idea. Can, you can pull your invoices out for your car rego, your car mm. insurance, yeah. You you know you know what your loan repayments is or your rent all all that information's there if you mm. if you piece it together and most people are quite shocked once they and and they often come up with this big surplus at the end and they don't know where it's gone <laughs> once the bills are paid well they've got mm. money left yeah. over like they've paid all these fixed costs and, they, mm. and 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 they don't know where it's gone and then you say well you know if you're having a cappuccino a day that's a thousand dollars a year so um, most people don't really know where they're spending the money. So once you've got that, that surplus there, um, I mean, that's a bit of a score, a bit of a fine. Well, then, then what's the best thing well, to do well, with I that? Well, I mean, that's what you want to do. I mean, you can use that to, to um, pay off your house quicker, save the money for a holiday, 
but until you can work out where your money's going, you, you haven't got a, a, a chance to do any of these. I think, and I'm just guessing here, but I guess once people start to to do that and then they find that there's a bit of cash left over and then they start budgeting, I guess, can momentum kick in and then you get almost excited about the fact that, oh, there's a spare 50 there I can use that yeah, to yeah, save that, or whatever? That's right. That's right. I mean, and, and the lazy way is to take the money out first. If you don't want to go through all this budgeting exercise, mm-hmm. just take all the money out, get your payroll, pay 10% into a separate account, and then just spend what's left. Yeah. And the, it forces you to save the money, and, and after a couple of weeks, you don't even notice the difference. Yeah, I guess it's about uh, discipline's probably the main, the key here. Discipline's the key. There's money you're putting into an account with this 10%. You don't want to be able to go down to the automatic teller machine and withdraw it, or you don't want to be able to use your point of sale to spend it. You've got to make it more difficult. Now, what about when we get a pay rise? I, I, this mythical thing called a pay rise that comes, or in, regardless of whether it's a pension, whether it's your work, salary, whatever, uh, that little bump that we get, what's the suggestion to do with that? Um, I'd save that as well. Okay. Save that as well. You've got used to not living with yeah, it, so why not right. put that's into bad. savings? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.